One of the most common reasons, arguments against Christianity, against God, it comes from the problem of evil. It's one of the most frequent ones to respond to, as well as one of the most difficult and challenging questions to respond to as well. And also, there's a lot of memes, a lot of pictures floating around line trying to show how evil disproves God. For example, this one that I saw very recently. Here it is. This was created. I saw it floating around the internet. And um, what I want to do today is I want to work through this, this idea that evil exists. And so far, this or somehow this works through a whole series of questions, ultimately leading you back to the idea that either God is not all good, he is not all powerful, he's not all loving, or he does not exist because the existence of evil is evidence against God's goodness. And so that is what we are going to be talking about today. My name is Ryan Pauly. If that sounds interesting, hey, maybe you want to subscribe and check out the channel, see other videos that I have done, interviews that I have. I have interviews coming up talking about the reliability of the New Testament, how we can know that the Bible is the word of God. Also an uh, interview coming up uh, with Jay Warner Wallace on Jesus and how we understand how he has transformed culture. Uh, that book is here somewhere. There it is. Person of Interest is that one. That's in a few weeks. There's an interview coming up. Person of Interest with Jay Warner Wallace. And then the other interview is coming up is right there. In the Eye of the Beholder with Lydia McGrew, The Gospel of John as a Historical Reportage. Also her other book, which I am reading right now, Hidden in Plain View, looking at undesigned coincidences. It's a fascinating read. I'm, I'm captiv captivated by it right now. But anyways, um, those are some things coming up. A lot of interviews, a lot of other conversations that I've had. And so if that's something that is interesting to you, something that sounds exciting, check it out. Because my goal here on this show is to help you know what Christianity teaches, to know how to defend it well, and then faithfully live it out. And so hopefully you learn to be a more faithful ambassador of Christ by watching this. I hope it's an encouragement to you. If it has encouraged you, if you've learned from it, maybe share it with somebody. And uh, look, I just love the fact that I can be here and kind of help you think through these things. And so today, really discussing a difficult question of why does God allow evil? How do we understand a good God being compatible with the evil pain and suffering? And I think that it's pretty obvious, right? You look around us, the world is filled with disease and we have terrorism and we have killings and we have racism and there's all these sort of issues that we are crying out really and saying, oh my goodness, look at all the evil, look at the brokenness of our world. And so it's times like this where there is so much brokenness and we can't flip on a TV or really go anywhere without seeing some sort of corruption and brokenness that we ask that question, man, where is God in all this? Why, why is this happening? How do we make sense of this holding to a Christian worldview that says God is good? Right, and so one of the biggest issues here, right, is that logical problem of evil that has to be addressed. Now, before we get into that logical problem of evil and that flow chart, we have to recognize a few key things. And so to start off this conversation, we have to kind of set the stage and point out the fact that this, there are two problems of evil. There is an emotional problem of evil and there is an intellectual problem of evil. And if someone is pressing you on this issue, what it really looks like what we're going to be talking about today is the intellectual problem, right? Someone has just put out a little flow chart and said, look, here are reasons why we know that God is not existing because of the evil that exists. That is the intellectual side. And if someone is wondering what the intellectual side is, then, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. And let's try to figure out how is God, how does God fit in this world of evil? But I think we have to start with this question, and this is what I always tell people, is that if someone says, you know, why does God allow evil? The first question out of your mouth should be something like, of all the questions to ask about God, why this one? But that was a question I learned from 
Sean McDowell. For all the questions to ask about God, why this one? Because you want to know if they just saw a flowchart like this on the internet and they're just trying to figure out how to make sense of God and evil or whether they just experienced pain, loss, and suffering. A loved one of theirs passed away. They just got devastating news. And I hope that you would care about the person to realize that we need to not just answer an objection, we need to respond to the person. And if the person is going through an emotional problem of evil, they are experiencing something. If you are experiencing pain and suffering in your life right now, I just wanna encourage you, find a pastor, find someone to reach out to, a close friend or family member that will listen to you and encourage you in this time. Because look, if you have just gone through loss, what we're gonna talk about here is probably not going to be the most helpful thing for you, right? This is gonna be helpful for those who are not experiencing that problem or those who have kind of gotten past that problem and are starting to try to reconcile and put the pieces back together of how God is good after allowing that thing to happen. But hey, if, if, if you are going through this emotional problem now, I just want to encourage you to, to find someone, maybe just turn off the video and find someone to talk to, to listen to, to work through this difficult situation. But if you are like me and you saw this meme or you saw a movie or you saw something that someone presented saying, look, this evil in the world, this is an objection against God, then stick with me because we're gonna work through this in our conversation today. So what is the intellectual problem of evil? Well, the argument goes like this. So let me pull this back up here. Um, how do I do this? Boom. And then let me fix my video. There we go. All right. So the argument looks like this. Um, and, and it's also framed in a slightly different way because in this nice flow chart, right? This is put together very well, but sometimes it's said like this where, um, if God is all good, then he would want to eliminate all the evil, right? And that is kind of what we get in that second point. I don't know if, I don't think I can put a cursor here. That would be nice if I could. Uh, but anyways, uh, in that second part down, if, if, um, or the third one there is, does God want to prevent evil? Um, if the answer is no, then he's not all good or not all loving. The second part is if God is all good, he'd want to eliminate all evil. If he's all powerful, he could eliminate all evil. That's that first little bubble there on the thing. Can God prevent evil? If your answer is no, then he goes, well, then he's not all powerful. And the issue there is, well, evil does exist in the world. So either God is not all good or not all powerful or both. Now we have to stop and kind of figure out the issue here. Now here's Maybe a preliminary question. Notice how this paradox assumes at the very beginning that evil exists. I think this is huge because how do we get the existence of evil, true evil, in other worldviews besides Christianity? Not all worldviews are going to admit what we would call evil. Maybe they call it bad luck. Maybe they call it some sort of misfortune. Maybe they call it, um, you know, something else, right? If you, if you hold to a uh, kind of a new spirituality, new age sort of thing, like sometimes, sometimes in certain sects of Buddhism or Hinduism where the physical world is an illusion, then evil and suffering is an illusion as well. And therefore there's not actual evil and suffering. It's just bad karma, bad thoughts or bad, these sort of things. And it's not true reality. I think that there's also an issue within a secular view, right? You know, the famous quote by Richard Dawkins um, talking about what, uh, what the world would look like given Darwinian, Dar Darwinism being true. <clears throat> and my stream quality is suffering here. So let me see if I can get a quick little fix, see if that helps. Um, what would it look like if, if Darwinism is true? 
And it's like in this kind of world, there was just random genetic mutations, uh, uh, natural selection. You have no good, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. I kind of butchered that quote a little bit, but this idea of no good, no evil. Because we have to ask this question, what is evil? How do we define evil? Now, we're going to come back to that definition here in a moment, but I think this is something so important for us to understand is the very fact that this begins with this idea that evil exists points to some sort of standard of good that doesn't make sense in every worldview. So we'll come back to that one here later. And so this is what we begin to look through. Now, where are the issues here? Well, it recognizes, again, as I mentioned, that evil is in the world. Right? In a pantheistic worldview, God is all that exists. If pantheism is true, God is all. God is good, therefore everything is good, therefore evil does not exist. So if, if evil actually does exist, then pantheism has to be false. Now, theism believes that God made all atheism. You know, there is no God at all. So let's talk about this idea of evil. What is moral? What is moral? Do we line up with a subjective morality that, mor that what is good and evil is just relative, like, like ice cream, right? Where you can, uh, let's, let, me, let me come back here because we're going to talk about the chart here in a little bit, um, where it's just things that we don't like. There's not something that's actually objectively wrong. Um, but uh, hey, Slam, thanks for coming in, dropping in. Hi, good to see you. Uh, it's not that there's things that are actually objectively wrong in some views, but really just, you know, I just things that we don't like, things that we don't prefer. Or when we talk about morality, are we talking about things actually objectively being wrong? So let me give you an example of a subjective morality and why I think this matters in the conversation that we're having here on why God allows evil. What if I told you, look, God does not exist. And the reason is because of pineapple on pizza. Some of you, I know one of you, you might be watching, but I'd be like, yes, exactly. No. Um, but the whole point is here. No, of course not. How does pineapple on pizza disprove the existence of God? And I go, well, because I don't like it. I think it is disgusting. God doesn't exist because of pineapple on pizza. If God truly is all good, he would not make something as such so gross as pineapple pizza. And if God is all powerful, couldn't he stop people from putting pineapple on pizza? Of course. So the fact that there is pineapple on pizza proves that God does not exist. Now, you probably look at me like I am silly, and that is absolutely right. If morality is subjective, simply based on my opinion, that it's just things I don't like. I don't like murder. It's not that murder is objectively wrong. We just don't like murder because of various things. It's just a subjective opinion or preferences we have of how we should live. Then how is it possible that your preference of something you don't like somehow disproves the existence of God? Instead, what this argument is assuming, I mean, maybe I'll just leave this up because that'll just make it easier. So I'm not switching back and forth. What this argument assumes is that evil actually is real, that there's this objective thing called evil. It's not just our preferences and our opinions that change from person to person or culture to culture. You hear this a lot too, that, that morality is just changing throughout culture. It's always evolving and becoming different. Well, if this is true, right, then some people who make this claim, not everybody, uh, would say something like, you know, slavery, yeah, wasn't wrong in the 1800s because everyone believed it was okay or many people believed it did. It was legal. But now we've changed that idea. 
Whereas I would say, no, slavery was wrong. We were incorrect. We were wrong in legalizing it and supporting it. And it was right of us to abolish slavery. And so rather than assuming that this argument doesn't just assume that morality is subjective, that it's simply just opinion, this is assuming that evil actually exists. Morality is objective. Morality is more like medicine. Whether something is wrong, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, that there's actually objective truth in this. Now, what's interesting is I received a comment just the other day on TikTok. Hey, by the way, if you have a TikTok, go follow me, Ryan Polly 3 <laughs> It's a fun, different world to be a part of. But anyways, I got a comment on there where a guy kind of said, uh, there's a video saying, you know, what do you teach? And so I said, I teach historical Christian doctrine and apologetics. I teach a comparative religions and worldviews, and I teach a philosophy of ethics. And a comment came in on that video saying, how do you teach these without just simply giving your opinion? And it's this kind of idea that we just assume when it comes to religion and ethics, morality, worldview, it's just relative. That I'm just standing up there giving my opinion on what I like and what I prefer, but I'm not actually talking about objective things. And I actually responded. I said, I can teach historical Christian doctrine the same way a history teacher, science teacher, math teacher teaches. That we're talking about objective facts. Either God exists or doesn't. Now, it's different in the sense that it's not as agreed upon, but we recognize that morality and truth isn't based on what we agree upon, right? The the vast majority of the world, right, at some point, you know, believed that the earth was the center of our solar system, the sun went around us. Did that mean that they were all right? No, if 100% of people on the face of this planet thought the the earth was the center of the solar system, then 100% of the people on the planet are wrong. Truth and morality being part of that moral truths do not change based on how many people agree. So yes, my classes are different in the sense that many people have different preferences and opinions when it comes to religion, but that doesn't mean that all we're talking about are preferences and opinions. When I say that murder is wrong, I'm not just saying that I don't like it or that I prefer not to murder, saying it's actually wrong in the same way that two plus two equals seven is wrong, is a wrong answer. And so I'm not just simply stating my opinions in my classes. We are trying to discover what is objectively true about the world. And this is important because as we talk about this idea of evil existing, we're talking about what is objectively evil, what is actually wrong, not just our preferences and opinions, but there are things that are actually wrong. And in order to understand this, and this is why evil, we're going to kind of start first before we really dive into this. And I have it up there so you can kind of see what we're working through in different parts. But what we we have to start is recognizing that evil is only possible in a theistic worldview, right? If there is no God who has given us a standard of right and wrong, given us moral values and duties, then you don't have evil. You only have preferences and opinions, things we don't like. How does that prove that God doesn't exist? In a pantheistic worldview, as I talked about, if everything is good and everything is God and everything is good, then you also don't have evil. So what about in Christianity? Well, again, if there's no standard to judge, how do you know? How do you know something is wrong? So for example, I, I, I use this all the time with my students. I think it's very helpful. If you are playing sports and one team uh, scores, let's say 75 points and another team scores 85 points. Who wins? Well, the question you should be asking is, what sport are we playing? Right? Exactly. Because if we're playing golf, the team that shot a combined score or average score of 75 wins. If we're playing basketball, the team that's got it shot an average score of 85 that wins. Now, if there's no rules, 
if there's no rules for how to play this sport, then the answer is, well, neither team wins because there's, there's no objective goal. There's no objective purpose. There's no objective rule saying more points wins or less points wins. Right. If you are going to figure out you have two maps and you try to figure out which map is better, you have the map that's better is the map that more accurately represents the real world. So if there's no real world, let's say you're drawing a map of uh, Polysville. I don't know, uh, some random country that does not exist from a made up world, uh, then whatever map you draw is like kind of right. But it's also not right. It's not wrong. It's just it's kind of pointless because there's no objective reality to compare it against. And so in a worldview that does not have God, that does not have this objective standard of right and wrong to which, to which we can compare our actions, I think it's impossible to say that there's actually true evil that exists. There's simply just our preferences, the things that we don't like. So I think what this does is it at least brings us to the conclusion that evil is only possible. And I don't know if I've done a perfect job of explaining this, but hey, we don't have all day and there's way more that could always be said. Evil is only possible in a theistic worldview. Now the question we have here and what this is trying to say is, okay, now we'd have actual evil. Can we make sense of God being good with the existence of evil? Um, but I definitely don't believe, and I hope I have given you some reason at least to show that evil is only possible within theism. So evil doesn't necessarily disprove God. Evil is only possible if God exists. Now let's come back, as I mentioned, to this question of, okay, well, what is evil? Some people present the argument that goes something like this. Um, God created all things. Evil is a thing. Therefore, God created evil. Is that true? Well, the answer is no, God did not create evil. So what is the problem in our argument? The problem here is that evil is not a thing. Evil is not a thing that exists. Evil is defined as the absence of good. Evil is the absence of good. So uh, a, a common illustration that I think helps make sense of this is if you think of a donut, right? You have a donut and then you have the donut hole. Now the donut hole is where the donut is not, right? And so you can fill in that hole and then you have a more donut, I guess, if the hole in the middle is filled in. Now, again, a donut hole, I'm not talking about the little circle that people take out of it. Um, but uh, the donut hole does absolutely exist if the donut is there. However, if you take the donut away, the hole also goes away. So the donut hole relies upon the existence of the donut, but the donut hole is where there is no donut. If I'm helping this make sense, donut goes away. So does the donut hole, but that doesn't mean the donut hole is a thing because the donut hole cannot exist by itself. If the donut hole was a thing, when you take away the donut, the hole would continue to exist. But the fact that it relies on the donut, it is the place, it's the absence of donut. Yes, it's there, it's real, you can see it, there's the donut hole, but it's not an actual thing that exists in and of itself. The donut hole is the absence of donut. Hopefully that makes sense. Now, other illustrations, you know, uh, coldness is the absence of heat or shadows are the absence of light. If you have no light, you have no shadow. A shadow only exists once there is light and then you block that light. So what I'm saying here is that evil is similar. Evil is not a thing that God created that exists in and of itself, but evil is the absence of good. So God has created a good world. God is good. But where we block that goodness, where that goodness is lacking, that is where evil is. 
And so this brings us to this problem of evil, right? Where we have um, both natural evils and we have moral evils, right? We're experiencing this, you know, hurricane that's coming. And I don't, I can't, I don't remember what the news is saying on that. But then we also have people choosing horrible things. We have the emotional problem of evil that we talked about and the intellectual problem. Now, what this is pointing out is kind of this logical problem of evil that logic, God, logically God cannot coexist with the existence of evil. Now, this argument has mostly been given up by people and it's turned more into what is called maybe the probability argument of evil, where yes, God logically can coexist, but it's unlikely. Uh, because of what we're going to talk about here. So let's work through this chart. And again, if you have other questions, please come and uh, please ask. And I'd love to try to help uh, 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 or answer some of those questions or other objections that you have on this topic. But let's look at this thing. So at the very top, evil exists. And the answer is yes. There is evil. It would be pretty crazy to deny the existence of evil with everything that we see and experience in the world. So the question is, can God prevent evil? And if you say, no, he cannot prevent it, well, then God is not all-powerful. Now, again, this is where we have to define, what do we mean by God being all-powerful? Many people believe that God being all-powerful means that God can do all things, that he can do anything. I remember, man, I was so young. I was like 20, 22-ish? No, no, I was closer to about 25. I was 25. I was teaching my first uh, seminary class in the Dominican Republic. And I remember saying, look, there are things that God can't do. And this one lady got up from her seat, almost stormed out of the room, said, no, God can do all things. And she was on her way, literally out of the room at the door. And I said, wait, 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 please hear me. Don't just storm out of here thinking I'm claiming heresy because there's things that God can't do. And so I said, for example, can God sin? Well, no, God can't sin. Now, I actually talked about this with my high school students today. If I can sin and God can't, does that make me like better than God, that I have some sort of ability that God does not have? The answer, I, of course, is no. That's not how that works. Um, look, we can sin because of a lack, right? It's like saying if I have two flower pots, right? And the flower pot here is a perfectly good new flower pot and the flower pot over here is broken. Well, this broken flower pot leaks water. Does the fact that this one can do something that this one can't do, this one leaks water and this one doesn't, does that make this pot better because it can do something? Well, of course not. It's only able to leak water because it is broken. And that's not a good thing. That is a bad thing. A good pot doesn't leak. And so we recognize that us being able to sin is not a good thing about us, that I have this awesome, good job. Yay, look at me. I can sin. God can't. No, of course not. Instead, it is because God is better than us that he cannot sin. But that's one thing that God can't do. Um, then we, we look at, can God die? Well, no, he is a self-sufficient eternal being. Uh, he cannot die. And so we recognize that there are other things along with that, that God cannot go against his nature. As a perfectly good eternal being, he can't die and he can't sin. The things that God can't do can't go against his nature. Now, I would also say that God cannot do what is logically impossible. God cannot create a married bachelor. God cannot make a square circle. Um, those are logical truths that God cannot go against. God can't create a one-ended stick. That would be a branch. God can't create a two-horned unicorn. That would be a bicorn. 
And so there are these logical impossibilities that God cannot do either. But that in no way takes away from God being all-powerful. Because I think we have, again, this misunderstanding that God being all-powerful means that he can do all things. That's not true. God can do all things that are logically possible and consistent with his nature. So again, this also lines up with that question of, can God create a rock so big that he cannot lift it? And the answer is no, he can't. Well, but then he's not all powerful. No, well, hold on a second. You're saying, can God create something bigger than the biggest thing? No, you can't create anything bigger than the biggest because it's the biggest. Nothing can be bigger than that. Um, and so God, there can't be a rock greater than God because then the rock would become God or something. No, God is the greatest. Nothing can be greater than God by definition as the greatest. So a simple response to this is saying God can create the biggest possible rock and then he lifts that rock. But him not being able to create a rock greater than him does not take away from him being all powerful because that is logically impossible to have a something that is greater than the greatest. It's just not the way that works. So can God prevent evil? Well, yes, in one sense, God could create us in a way that prevents all evil. And we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Um, and so it's like, I'm not saying no, he can't, but um, yes, he could. So then that leads us down to the next part. Okay, so if God can prevent evil, then the question becomes, does God know about the evil? And here it says, look, if you answer no, then God is not all-knowing. And I would agree with this one, right? If, if there is evil that exists and God is unaware of this evil, he doesn't know that this evil exists, then what does it mean that God is all-knowing? Uh, so yes, I clearly think that we should answer and could and do answer yes to this question. Uh, does God know about the evil? Yeah, of course he does know about the evil. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus Christ into this world to overcome it to conquer it. And he promises that the evil will be dealt with in the end where all evil, the devil, the fallen angels, and those in rebellion against him will be thrown into, into the eternal fire. So God absolutely knows about the evil that is going on right now. So if you answer yes, then it goes down to our next question. Does God want to prevent the evil? So now if you answer no, okay, so he could stop it, he knows about it, but he doesn't want to prevent it, then it's saying, okay, then God is not all good, or he's not all loving, um, that he does not want to. Now, I would partially agree with this, right, is if you could evilly, easily stop the evil happening in your child's life, and you don't want to, then there might be some questions there. Now, as I'll get to just here in a moment, I think that there are sometimes good reasons to not stop that evil, right? We'll talk about giving children injections here soon. I was talking to a friend of mine who recently had the child receive some vaccines. And yes, the parent allowed the child to have those vaccines. And yes, the parent could stop that vaccine, but didn't because there's reasons they allowed that vaccine to take place. Now, there was though something still in that parent like dying inside to see their child suffering and pain for all the, the needles going into them, right? So there's still a desire there to want to stop it, but there's a reason that parent did not. So if God could stop all evil, he knows about the evil and he wants to prevent the evil, then why is there evil? To which here it gives us three options. The first option that it says that we can give is that there is evil because of Satan. 
And it says, well, an all-powerful, all-knowing God could and would destroy Satan. Well, I think this one has some problems. An all-powerful, I do believe that Satan is the one of the problems, right? That Satan is here. Satan is evil. He is trying to seek, kill, and destroy. Like he is trying to take people away from God. Satan is a cause of this. And an all-powerful, all-knowing God could and will destroy Satan. So the answer, the answer is, well, why not yet? Now, that's a further on question, but I think that is absolutely a reason. And I don't think that you have to say God would destroy Satan right now if he's all good and all powerful. He could, and I think he will. That's what scripture says. God says that he is going to destroy Satan. Uh, the question is, well, why not yet? So if the answer to why there is still evil is not Satan, uh, some people say, well, there's still evil because God wants to test us. To which you see that little line going down into the right, into the bottom right corner. It says, well, then if God is all knowing, he would know what we would do if we were tested. Therefore, no need to test us. Now, that's true. But this removes something very important. And that is, what do tests do for us? Tests aren't simply just to show what we would do. Sometimes a test is to help us understand where we lack, right? As a teacher, I will give I will give tests to my students, not to just see where they're at, but then hopefully where they see, man, I'm not doing well at this. I need to improve. Here's my areas where I am in lack, where I need to become better. And there, so there is testing that makes us better, right? And again, scripture talking about that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us, right? This idea that sometimes these tests that we go through actually make us better, not just to inform God. I mean, stop, I, just stop for, for, for a second and think to yourself, did you become better? Did you become, did you grow more through the times where you suffered, the times where you went through difficulties and trials, or the times where things were easy and just handed to you? Which one built you into the person that you are today? Um, which one made you who you are today? I can look back at my life and I can see this idea that, look, um, I took classes in high school where the teacher was very easy. We did whatever we wanted. We got away with a lot. Um, Unfortunately, I don't even remember the teacher's name. I don't remember learning anything. I don't remember becoming a better person in that class. In fact, I think I became a worse person. It made me lazier. It made me procrastinate. It made me realize I didn't have to do anything to get an A. And so I took the easy way out. And I think that is true for maybe more people than we maybe want to admit, if I can say that. Instead, when I look at my high school experience, it was the teachers who truly pushed me, who tested me, who challenged me, where I suffered in one sense in their classes that I look back and I go, wow, they made me into the person I am today, right? It's, it's so absolutely true as it says in what I quoted in Romans chapter five, this idea that we should rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings produce endurance, you have to overcome. Now, it's not rejoicing and like, yay, I'm so happy. I'm suffering. Woo, this is awesome. But we realize that when we have to endure through something difficult, that produces character in us. 
right? We can just man, stop and just think about all the character traits that we learn through that suffering, through that endurance as we push through, as we learn a work ethic, as we learn time management, as we really have to put things in the right place or else maybe things are going to fall short. And that character gives us hope. And as it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has been, or whom has been given to us. And so I think that there is good reason to believe, yes, this could be to test us. But this testing is not just to give God some knowledge. Like when I test my students and I want to know uh, how much do they understand. Uh, but the testing really does come from, oh, the Bible's coming up there in the background. The testing really does come from, um, or is the purpose of helping us see where we are and making, I think, us better. And therefore, there still is a reason to test. Right? We often test our students before going on immersive experiences because we want them to see that they don't know the things that maybe they think that they know. And then we get them into conversations with skeptics and people who are going to challenge them. I do this in my classroom all the time. Today, we were talking about a certain topic and I brought up the best challenge I knew on that topic. I said, okay, so if that's what you think, students, what do you do with this? And it was like crickets for some of them where it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know. Now, why do I do that? Because I want them to see like, look, there's some, there's still areas that we need to grow. There are still things that we need to learn. Now, how else do I think, do I do, how else do I think we grow through this testing? Well, one reason why I believe why there is still evil and we'll get to others, but the one that I think lines up with this is this idea of the soul making view. Um, now when I come to the problem of evil, if you're curious on how I approach it, I don't just say, look, there's just one approach. It's either this, this, or this. I love the cumulative approach where I think that there's possibly many reasons why God is allowing the evil, even though he is all good, all powerful, and he all knowing. And it's the soul making view that we are learning characteristics. We are learning character traits that is making us a better people, developing us. And I think ultimately going to allow us to more appreciate God and our time in heaven, right? Where if you lock a kid up in a bedroom and just always provide for him, there's not this learning that takes place. When we are exposed to pain, we realize the joy in, in health. When we are exposed to having to wait in a line, we learn patience, you only have to, you only understand what true peace is when we understand chaos and war and fighting. Then when there's peace, we appreciate that. How would we possibly understand the peace of God if we'd never experienced chaos? You only have to forgive when someone has offended you. When someone and you have offended someone else, there's only forgiveness available. So how what would it make sense to say Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he has offered this forgiveness for you if we've never had to forgive because no one has ever done anything wrong? I think when we look at this idea of love and the love of God and we understand love greater when we see hate in the world and that love becomes more beautiful and more fuller picture. These beautiful character traits of understanding the peace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the glory of God makes so much more sense. It's so much more, it's a more full picture when we experience the evil, pain, and suffering of this world. And so I think that there is reason in that testing that we go through, right? It's a common phrase that says, you know, don't pray for patience. Why? Because then you're going to get put in the longest line or something like that, right? There's this test that we go through that makes you 
more patient. You don't become more patient by always getting your way right away. You become more patient by, by become more patient by practicing patience and working through those issues. So I think that is a very possible reason. But again, I think that this uh, argument in the bottom right, if God is all knowing, then he would know what we would do. And therefore, there's no reason to test us. I still think that there is a reason to test us. I think this falls slightly short, just like the one before about Satan. I think that it's there's some truth to it, but I do think that that falls slightly short. Now, let's look at this last point here. Okay, why is there evil? It is necessary for the universe to exist or other reason. So evil is necessary. So then a question is, okay, so if you're going to say this is a necessary thing, could God have created a universe without these? And if you say no, then God's not all powerful. Now, I, I do believe God could have created a universe without evil. Um, so the answer is yes, God could have created a universe without evil. So then the question becomes, well, then why didn't he? And either one, you go back to, okay, he's testing us, which I believe is a legitimate reason. And again, notice this on the, on the surface. This is set up in a way where it's trying to point back to the fact that God's not all good, not all powerful, doesn't exist, right? Everything flows right back up to the top of then God is not all powerful. Because even if you say, well, it's to test us, it comes to the conclusion, well, he shouldn't need to test us. So now what's your reason? And we're kind of going back into the flow chart, everything ending back up at the top right, then God is not all powerful. Um, however, as I've tried to point out, there's a legit reason why we can believe that Satan is the cause of evil. And there's a reason why God hasn't destroyed him yet. And therefore, we can conclude that God is good. God is powerful. God is all-knowing. He exists. And this hasn't disproven God. The same way in that bottom right, that to test us is a legitimate reason because it helps us grow. It's the same reason that parents don't prevent all evil in their children's life, even if they could, or they allow their child to leave at night or in the afternoon or whenever, knowing that something could, bad could happen, but we don't prevent all evil. Sometimes we learn. Now, here's an important part that also plays into this testing us, and we have to answer is this question, is all pain evil? Is all pain evil? And I think the answer to that would be no, both biblically and other reasons. So if you look like at Genesis chapter three, where sin is entered into the world, the curse upon Eve is that God would increase the woman's pain in childbirth. Now, if you're increasing pain, I think in my mind, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to increase from zero to more. Um, what does it mean to say your pain will increase? If she has no concept and understanding of what pain is, then how does she make sense of God's kind of curse upon her that her pain would increase because of the sin that she committed? Instead, I think that there's actually some pain that then is becoming worse, but I don't think that all pain is evil. Again, pain is a valuable teacher of lessons. Sometimes there is pain for a greater good. So this is going back to this question about the shots. Why does a parent allow for pain to be inflicted on their child without stopping it? Well, because unless you're anti-vaccine and man, my goodness, right now, there's a lot of stuff on vaccines, you know, so maybe not COVID we're talking about here, but just basic vaccines, kids, little kids get. Um, most parents have allowed their children to be vaccinated. Why? Because yes, there is a short temporary pain happening 
but for a greater good. Now you have a greater protection from whatever disease this is, whatever virus that could affect you and cause way worse damage. And so we allow for a small amount of pain to happen in someone's life for a greater good. This happens all the time. And so we'd say, look, this pain is maybe a good thing. I think the pain is also a valuable teacher of lessons. Why did God create us with nerve endings and pain receptors? Well, so that when you put your hand on that hot stove or that hot rock or by the fire and it begins to burn, what do you do? You pull. So you don't just leave it there. Imagine if you had no pain receptors in your hand and you put your hand on that hot stove and you're talking, you don't even realize. Next thing you know, you're like all the skin is burned off your hand completely and you burned it down to the bones, right? You got nothing there. Right. Maybe there's that time, right? There's a time where I had an accident where I, I sliced my finger open. I don't know if you can see the scar right there, but I sliced my finger open. I didn't feel anything. And I was on an ice hockey skate rink. I was ice skating. And also I'm like, man, my hand's really cold. And I looked down and my hand is like covered in blood. <laughs> I didn't feel the cut. What would happen if I didn't also feel the coldness and I'm just going along, I'm bleeding out. I don't even realize it. I don't see it. Pain is a valuable indication that something is wrong. One time I was in the Dominican Republic and I woke up one morning and my stomach hurt and immediately, what did I know? There's something wrong with me. So I began to run through my head. What could be wrong with me? What did I eat last night? What did I do? And when I ran through everything and took all the medicine I thought I could take to solve any problem that was a smaller issue and the pain did not go away, I went to the hospital. After nine hours and many tests later, they determined your appendix is going bad. And if we don't take you to surgery, it's going to explode. Now imagine if I had no pain. I woke up that morning. It's a beautiful day. Everything is going well. I'm living my life. All of a sudden my appendix explodes inside of me. I still don't feel anything because, hey, pain is all bad, right? Well, that would have killed me. Now I'm dead. This pain actually is very helpful. It is very useful. And so that's why and the reason why I don't believe that pain is completely bad and why I think that in Genesis chapter three, where it says that your pain will increase in childbirth, I think there was still pain in the garden of Eden, but for benefits, for good reasons, it increased and has gotten worse. There are more things now causing pain, but I don't think that all pain is evil. So again, I think that there is some pain in our lives that is to test us, that is helpful. Now, lastly, if you say, okay, it's not to test us uh, and it's not Satan, which by the way, I think are both viable options, which again, leaves the reasonable conclusion that God can be all good, powerful and knowing and still allow evil. There's one more option. Uh, then why didn't God stop evil? It's because God, uh, oh, then the question, because of free will, right? There's the free will defense. God could have created, or could God, here's the question. Could God have created a universe with free will, but without evil? Now, I would say, I think the answer to this question is no. Let me read you a quote. And this is by my professor, Dr. Clay Jones, who wrote a book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Great book. You can check it out. I've interviewed him on that book. I think, though, that interview was before YouTube started. That might be on the podcast. Uh, the last interview I did with him on, is on his newest book, uh, Immortality, um, you know, How the Fear of Death Drives Us. Uh, but here's what Dr. Jones says in his book. He says, because free will is valuable... God created beings that had free will and gave them paradise. God gave these beings, Adam and Eve, only one prohibition. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
It is important to note that it is impossible to give beings free will and not allow them to use it wrongly. That's as logical as it gets. Think about that. It is impossible to give beings free will and then not allow them to use it wrongly. What does it mean to say that we are free, but then there's no evil? Well, then you're not actually free. God is limiting you somehow, right? That you are living in a world where there is knives and you have a knife and you're free to use that knife however you want. But for some reason, you can't use that knife to stick it into someone. You can stick it into an animal. You can cut an animal. You can cut your steak. You can do all this with a knife. But some reason you can't do, you can't stick it into a person. Either one, because God is like changing the laws of physics and right, the knife is like a hard metal knife and you go to cut your steak and this is what Dr. Jones would always talk about. And you go to cut your steak and it cuts perfectly fine. It's nice and sharp. But then you go to stab it in your little brother, Johnny, and it turns to rubber and the whole family laughs. That's a cartoon world. And that's also a world in which we don't learn from mistakes, right? There's a valuable lesson that we learn from, from mistakes and these sort of things that we have to learn how to make good decisions, not God stopping us every single time anything bad might happen. And so there's good reason to say, yes, God could have created a universe without evil, as I said before, but we wouldn't have free will. We'd be a bunch of robots. Is that really a better universe? And the answer is no, that's not a better universe. Free will is valuable. It's free will that allows us to actually fulfill the purpose that God has created us. The purpose is to know him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It makes no sense for us to be in a loving relationship with God if we are not freely choosing that loving relationship. Right? I can take Siri in my phone right here, and I can program her. But if I say, you know, do you love me? I don't even know what she would say. Hey, Siri. She's not going to respond. Oh, bummer. Hey, Siri. Do you love me? Do you love me? Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? <laughs> no, I'm busy. Um, <laughs> all right, sidetracked right there. But uh, you could program Siri to say yes. I love you, right? This is programming. Now, does that make you feel special? Does that make you feel like all warm inside? No, that's very different than when my wife says, hey, I love you. There is something about someone freely choosing to be in that loving relationship with you that is so amazing. So yeah, God could have created a universe in which there was no evil, but then we can't be free because you can't give beings free will and say, hey, here's your freedom, but by the way, you can't use it wrongly. That's as logical as it gets. So we have this idea like, okay, so yes, God could, or could God have created a universe with free will, but not without evil? The answer is no. And it's like, but then God's not all powerful. And this is where it's really important here. Um, and <laughs> thanks for that comment. Yeah, last name is Siri. Uh, awesome. Thanks for commenting. Um, and so here's what we recognize. So could God have created a universe with free will, but not without evil? And the answer is no. But does that mean that it leads us back up to the top? Like the flow chart says that God is not all powerful. And the answer is no. And that is because, as we talked about in the beginning, you have to define what we mean as Christians. Right? If you're going to attack Christianity and our idea of God being all-powerful, then you have to understand our definition of what all-powerful is. And be, God being all-powerful does not mean that he can do everything. As I said, God being all-powerful means that he can do anything that is logically possible and consistent with his nature. To create beings who are free, but then not let them use their free will wrongly is not logically possible. Therefore, in no way does this take away from God being all-powerful. 
And so I think that this flow chart, as we've kind of worked through here, um, it doesn't fit. It, it doesn't flow. I, there's good reason to believe there is free will, that God created us with free, with free will because free will is valuable. There's good reason to believe that evil is being allowed because God is testing us and we are growing and learning and experiencing new things through that as Romans chapter 5 talks about. It's building our character. And there's also good reason that free will is allowed because Satan still exists. And yes, God is going to destroy evil. That is the beautiful promise in scripture, but he has not done so yet. Well, why not? I think it's because God desires for more people to come to know him, right? If God is going to destroy Satan and evil, then our world stops tonight. And so there's actually an appreciation that we should have that God is continuing to allow us to exist, even though there is difficult evil uh, that is happening. But God is giving more people the opportunity to come to knowledge of him. I frequently see comments on Twitter and different social media where someone says, hey, I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior today, and people are celebrating it. That wouldn't happen if God decided to end the world last week. That person would be separated from him. The longer this goes on, yes, it's difficult, but there is a greater good. More people are coming to a knowledge of him. So again, as I said, kind of at the beginning, and we'll address a few more questions that I have here. And so if you have questions, we got a little bit of time to address those. And I have a few kind of questions that go along with this that I want to address. But as I said at the beginning, this is so important because this idea that there's a greater good is a good intellectual answer. But that is not what we should be saying to someone who is dealing with the emotional problem of evil and who is suffering uh, something real, the loss of someone. My mom just passed away. Well, there's a greater good. Like that is not what you should be saying. And as I often joke, if you give an intellectual answer to an emotional problem of evil, you may get punched in the face and you'll have your own problem of suffering. Uh, that is not the best thing that we do. In the same way, if someone's asking an intellectual question of why God allows evil and suffering, you don't say, hey, lay your head on your, my shoulder and just cry with me. No, that's not what they need. They need a thoughtful, intellectual response. So I hope this kind of worked as we ran through this. And so in the last kind of 10 minutes that we have, I want to run through some questions that often come up in relationship to this issue and as well as the questions that you have that we can address. Uh, but the question here is this. Um, oh man, my chair is so loud. Um, <laughs> uh, why then do bad things happen to good people? Right? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think we have to recognize that according to Christianity and according to scripture, there are no good people. Jesus was asked, hey, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Right? There are no good people. And I love the quote. I think it was, oh, now I'm forgetting who said it. I want to say, oh, it'll come to me in a second. But I love the quote. It says, there's only one time in all of human history in which a bad thing happened to a truly good person. And he volunteered. Jesus' death on the cross. I think it was R.C. Sproul Jr. Um, there's only one time in all of human history in which a bad thing happened to an actually a good person. And he volunteered. And so this objection kind of goes away um, when, uh, you know, that there are no good people. We're bad people doing bad things to each other. We often think that we're better than we are. But think about this for a second, because we don't like thinking about this. And this is going to be a controversial statement. It's not a popular statement, at least. One of the greatest sins that we can do is not believe in God. I was just studying uh, 1 John chapter 5 last night in my Bible study, where it says that, it, that, uh, that disbelief, like if you do not believe in God, like you're calling God a liar. 
because God is testifying to us his son, right, in the baptism. It's a confusing chapter where it says the three that testify. And so the baptism of Jesus is showing this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Then Jesus goes and dies on the cross and the blood sacrifice shows that here's the forgiveness of sins and confirms what Jesus has done. And God is saying, look, this is true. This is who I am. And you go, no, I don't believe it. And in fact, you're calling God a liar. That is one of the worst things that we can do. So we often think like we are these really good people, but I just don't believe in God. You, we don't realize the significance, the severity of our sin. And one of those sins being the greatest sins is disbelief, calling God a liar. Now you said, well, people do good things. Yes, that is true. We often do very good things. We help each other who have uh, fallen and need help. We, we cheer for those who have been injured in sports games when they stand back up. We bake cookies and cakes for people and we give to charities. That's true. We do a lot of good things. But doing good things does not make you a good person. It makes you a doer of good, right? We recognize there are people that can be horribly evil inside. Just wish death upon others, yet give people hugs, bake cookies, do nice things. It's absolutely possible. And so just because you do a few nice things does not make you a good person. Even criminals stop at red lights. Maybe it's because they're more selfish. They don't want to get hit by the car that is flying the other direction. We often follow the laws, not because we're a good person. Students often don't cheat on a test, not because they're good people, but because they don't want to get caught. These sort of things happen very frequently. Now, there's other big questions, but how could God, a loving God, punish people with eternal torment in hell? Again, a short answer to this, and again, there's way more that probably needs to be said, but in the time that we have, eternal punishment is fitting for the eternally unrepentant. For those who are unrepentant, continue in their sin, and that punishment continues. Right? Love, we have to recognize love is not the only characteristic of God. Love is not the only characteristic of God. God is also just, right? And if we are sinning against an eternal God, we deserve an eternal punishment. And if that sin continues on for eternal, for all, for, continues on eternally, then we deserve to continue to be punished. As Dr. Clay Jones says, again, God cannot actualize a good and just world where all people will freely choose to follow him. There are going to be people who freely choose to reject God. And then what do we do with that? God, you know, God is not going to force you into his presence against your world. And that'd be like kidnapping someone and saying, you don't love me, girl. Well, I don't care that you don't love me. I don't care that you want to be away from me. I'm going to kidnap you and lock you, me in, your, lock you in my house. That would be evil if a guy did that to a girl, right? Girls often say, if you truly liked me, if you truly love me, you would leave me alone. I think that's what God does for us. Last thing here, and I think this is huge, is we recognize that the pain that we deal with in this life is huge. The suffering is real and it is difficult. But when we take things in an eternal perspective, really heaven will mitigate. It will reduce the suffering of this world to insignificance. Think about it. If you live an 80 life and let's say you suffer miserably for 40 years, that is a very real suffering. 40 years, half your life. But if you are then saved, you go on to live in eternity in the presence of God where all that suffering has ended, you have suffered effectively 0% of your life. 40 years of suffering divided by an infinite, eternal existence is effectively 0%. It reduces that suffering down to insignificance. Now, again, it's not saying that your suffering never happened, that it's not real or, or huge, 
But that eternal perspective puts it into preference where we go, okay, now seeing it from God's perspective, it becomes a little bit more like that shot with the child. You have, you know, your one minute of pain with that needle in your arm to a lifetime of being free from getting this disease. It's a little bit more of that perspective that we go through. Now, on the flip side, as Christians, we have to recognize that the opposite is true if the person does not know Christ. You could have 70 years of bliss and perfection and happiness in life out of an 80-year life and be amazing. But if we don't know Christ and we go and spend eternity in separation from God and hell and suffering, then our 70 years of beautiful life divided by an infinite eternal existence of suffering is that we're essentially effectively suffering 100% of our life. And so this becomes so huge as we try to help people understand it and recognizing, look, God has given us free will. We often are the ones that do evil to each other and then we blame God for it. So Dr. Jones finishes with this. After the quote that I read about not being able to use free will wrongly, he then says, so this is what kind of is the story. So Adam and Eve had everything going for them, but they distrusted God and rebelled against him. So God cursed the ground, thus enabling all kinds of disease and pestilence. This was the origin of natural evil. And then God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden, thus removing them from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. And we've been attending funerals ever since. It is our fault for rebelling against God. God has created this perfectly good creation. We have broken that, brought evil into it. But the good news is, is that he is restoring creation. Jesus Christ has come to offer hope and to this brokenness, to offer life into death. And if we trust in him, this suffering will end and we spend eternity with him. This uh, hopefully will help. This is a thing that pops around a lot, this meme that we have talked through. I hope this kind of working through this in a slow way in which the meme works through in a slow way, pointing you to all these different bubbles. I hope this has helped you make better sense of why God would allow evil and suffering, yet at the same time, why he is still a good God. Jimmy, I see your comment there uh, about the views on hell besides eternal conscious torment. That is a good question. There's a lot more that can be said about that. So I'm going to have to save that for another time. But thank you, Jimmy, for being here and for sending in that comment. So everybody, Everybody. I hope this helps. I hope that you uh, have been encouraged by this. Again, I would just encourage you to check out if it's there. There we go. Check out uh, the uh, social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, Ryan Polly 3 for other short videos and different information there. Check out the two um, interviews that are going to be coming up. If this has helped you, subscribe. Check out the other videos. Again, I'm just here because I want to provide a help to you. There are also ways if you want to support financially. There's a there's a Patreon. There is a link below on YouTube in the description where you can give and get tax deductible credit for that. Um, I just want to be able to offer this to you for free and to help you in this. It just brings joy to me. But if you want to do give back, you can share, you can donate, you can do different things and just say thank you in that way. Uh, I appreciate it. Maybe even, you know, well, I guess that would be to the podcast people. You can give it a like on the podcast app. And so anyways, uh, I love this time. I appreciate you guys being here. Join me again next week uh, for another video as we work through how to be faithful followers of Christ, understanding Christianity, defending it well, and faithfully living it out. Thank you so much, everybody. And God bless. Bye. Won't hesitate to follow your love